You've seen the movies. But you haven't read the comics? What? You think the comics are inaccessible? That's Steve Vinson. That's Paul Schultz. And we've got issues. This is just from my perspective. Mm-hmm. There is a multi-billion dollar industry <laughs> called superhero movies. That's right. Right now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is competing with the DC, whatever they're calling their cinematic universe. Wonder Woman's competing with Captain Marvel and Endgame's competing with, uh, you know, whatever version of that they have on the DC side to rake in the billions of dollars available. Every time one of these movies comes out, it breaks the records of the previous one, right? Yes. Which means everybody's into these comic, what, what I consider to be comic book characters who weren't created yesterday or last week. <laughs> or, or even 10 years ago. Or even 10 years ago. They were created decades ago. And despite your best efforts, um, I never got into comics, never read them, never, you know, never even like picked them up to be like, oh, let me try this. Even though they were right there, I could have, mm-hmm. uh, but I just didn't. And I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. I like the movies now. I watch the movies. I'm like, well, these are great. However... I like to know where things came from, and I like to uh, the the entire reason for having this new uh, podcast that we're starting is to show people that things are accessible to them that they may in ways that they may not have thought about before. Right. So whether you are a person who loves the movies, you loved uh, Endgame, you loved Spider Man Homecoming, you loved. Spider-Man New Beginnings or whatever thing has come out. Obviously, we'll have to edit the shit out of this one. (laughs) Whatever thing has come out since eight months ago when we first started recording. Nothing's (laughs) due out till like middle of next year, so you're good. Okay, good. (laughs) Maybe you like those movies, but but you never got into comics. And you're like me. And you're like, well, I don't know. what I, I don't understand. Why do I like the movie? I didn't like the comics. Or maybe you're a person who's always been into comics and you don't get like why, how are people now into these movies? But when I was a kid, I read the comics and everybody thought I was a weirdo. But now suddenly it's the most popular thing in the world. Regardless of which end of the spectrum you're on, our aim here is to show you how the actual books, how the actual comics are accessible to you and how they all led up to what we're experiencing now. And how comics don't bite. Wouldn't hurt you to pick one up, you know, and read a little bit. Although you could get a very serious paper cut. If you're not careful. That having been said, comics did not start in 1970 or 1973 when Paul and I were kids. They are a uniquely American uh, phenomenon. Comics and jazz. Well, we have we do have barbecue. Oh, that's true. And chili. Um, so the movies that we're seeing now, most of those characters, obviously Stan Lee, huge, hugely important. Yeah. In the in the development of the characters we're seeing now, people you know his peers, his his contemporaries, generally, would you say early seventies into the eighties, these characters were created, developed, um, and now here we're seeing them on the big screen. However, comics started in America a long time before that, and obviously, I'm not a comic guy. I'm just I'm just you know basking in the 
in the shadow <laughs> of a comic giant known as Paul Schultz. So tell me, as a non-comic book guy, mm-hmm. like I sit here and I see these movies and I'm like, oh, wow, these are great. And not only do I see the movie and enjoy the movie itself, whether it's Iron Man or Iron Man 2 or even some of the other ones like Iron Man 3. Maybe not Iron Man 3. <laughs> Garfield, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) No, okay. So as the non-comic book guy, I Mm -hmm. watch these movies and I just, I'm like, these are great, right? Mm -hmm. And and then I think, did I miss something not reading comics? And I can hear you in my head already going, yeah, you did. (laughs) You missed a lot. So that's the non-comic book guy in my head. And then I always think of the bros, right? I For some reason, I can't not think about the bros going, dude, we like the movies. The comics are, the comics sucked like why would you want to read when you can go see a movie right so i can hear those guys Mm -hmm. and then i can hear the guys who are like yeah i don't know it's just there's something about the movies i like but the comics were kind of i don't know which ones to read i don't know what to think about the the books themselves that's from the non-comic book guy side Mm -hmm. but what about the comic book guy side it's just like D &D right now D &D is 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 bigger than it has ever been, and we're going. We, we, we told you it was cool. <laughs> you, you, you didn't, you didn't believe us, but we told you it was cool. But and it took these movies to show you guys that comics are cool because yeah. all, all of the, almost all of the storylines that have been going on for the past, you know, ten, eight, ten years, in particularly the the, the Marvel movies are based or on stories that have been were printed back 20 30 years ago when we were reading them and you guys well not you but you guys were making fun of us for reading them and now you're sitting in the theater spending you know i, I was spending 35 cents <laughs> you know to read these things you know now we're spending 8 10 12 14 15 dollars whatever it is now to go to the damn movies to see this mm. so Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they didn't just come from nowhere. Not only did they not just come from nowhere. So what we're going to try to do this season is we're going to start sometime in the early seventies, maybe late sixties. Um, yeah, yeah, I did my homework right. Um, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're hitting, you're hitting it just right. You're good. You know that REM song, like "Standing on the Shoulders of Giants." Was that REM? <laughs> I can't remember. I don't um, know. These things, there was an arc, and these things did did come from somewhere, and they came from the books. And there's a bunch of key books that were that came out in the 70s, 80s, that really formed the story arc of a lot of what we're seeing now. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like they all built on each other. Some things wouldn't have been possible without some other things. And that while that's all true, none of it would have been possible if the medium of comics had not been created in the first place. Right. And it's not like they were sitting around in France in the 1700s going, ooh, let me read some comics. You know, the founding fathers didn't have comic books, right? So they came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So my question for you, dear friend, Mm -hmm. where did comics come from? (laughs) Can you give us a history of comics, please? Basically, comic books came along in the 1930s when newspapers needed a way to keep their printing presses running. Back then, ink had a tendency to dry up, 
and the cleaning of the machines was extremely costly and time-consuming. The Sunday Funnies were already insanely popular, so publishers repackaged the stories as reprints, and the comic book was invented. They sold in the millions. Remember, this was the time before television. In fact, that's how Superman came about. In 1938, a guy from Canada and a guy from Ohio had been trying unsuccessfully to get their comic strips syndicated when a guy chewing on a cigar behind a desk got the bright idea to chop the strip up and slap it into a comic book. That was Action Comics number one. It took the country by storm, and the age of the superhero was born. There had been a few other superheroes already, but not long after Action number one came out, the comic book industry was flooded with superheroes. So Superman's influence can't be denied. World War II helped the comic book popularity as well, as publishers were sending tons of comics to soldiers overseas. They were a great propaganda tool for the war effort too, with heroes punching out clownish-looking Hitler and Hirohito on as many covers as they could. A lot of guys working in comics at that time were American Jews who still had relatives in Germany, so any chance they could sock old Hitler in the jaw, they took it. Even after the war, comics were going along strong, branching out in other genres like crime, horror, science fiction, until 1954, when a crackpot psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham published his book, The Seduction of the Innocent, in which he linked juvenile delinquency to comic books. The one constant he saw in all juvenile delinquents was comic books, so obviously comics made kids bad. That sounds like science, right? Never mind that, at that time... Every kid read comics. Remember, most houses back then didn't even have televisions yet, so kids read everything they could get their hands on for entertainment. Naturally, this was all parents who didn't want to take responsibility for Junior's bad behavior needed, and the great comic book purge began. Parents were literally burning piles of comics in the streets. My own father even told me his mother did it to his comics. Ironically, Wortham and World War II are partially responsible for the current value of surviving comics from that time. Nothing raises the cost of something quite like scarcity. In order to survive the witch hunt, comic book publishers cooked up a self-imposed set of rules in an attempt to placate the angry mob, and the comic book's code authority was born. Unfortunately, the comic book code, as it had come to be called, sterilized comics to the point that only a few publishers and titles remained. Romance and police comics were the flavor of the day for a couple years, until 1956, when DC Comics took a chance at reinventing some of their older characters like The Flash, Green Lantern, and so on. With this rebirth, and in spite of the code, the superhero comic began to thrive again, and for about five years, DC Comics dominated the market. Then, in 1961, this guy from New York City, who had all but retired from writing comics, and following the advice of his wife, decided to give the superhero genre one last shot. Teaming up with another guy from New York, they co-created a seemingly endless barrage of superheroes, like the Fantastic Four, Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, Thor, Ant-Man and Wasp, as well as the Avengers and the X-Men. Other characters came along as well, guys you may have heard of like Spider-Man, Daredevil, just to name a few. Captain America was even reintroduced. In very short order, Marvel Comics dominated the industry. By this point, comic books were back selling in the millions, even working under the restrictions of the comic book code. In retrospect, the era from the time of their creation to about 1956 has come to be known as comics' golden age. 
In the era between 56 and 1970 is commonly referred to as the Silver Age. Which brings us to April of 1970 and our first comic book story of our series. I've already been laughed at a lot of times for reading comic books by the person who is now eating lunch with the Dungeons and Dragons people. (laughs) So we'll start in April 1970 with Green Lantern number 76. Okay. And this one happens to have a co-star by name of Green Arrow. Mm -hmm. So Green Lantern, Green Arrow. DC's two green superheroes. And the cover is super green. Yeah. No pun intended. (laughs) So Green Lantern is this guy, I don't know his history, but he's got this ring that apparently can do a lot of interesting things. Whatever his will commands, it'll do. It's literally literally the most powerful weapon in the universe. Well, what I didn't get from the issue is like where he got the ring. Like, where did this dude come from? Where did he get the ring? Well, Hal Jordan, that, that particular Green Lantern is a reboot of the original, which came out in the 40s. And it was a magic ring, and it was operated by by a fellow by the name of Alan Scott. Well, when they revamped them in the, what, early 60s, when they started revamping the DC characters, they made him more science-based. And he spent, the, so there's this group called the, the, the Guardians, and essentially they're like the overseers of, you know, everything that goes on in the galaxy. They're not the Guardians of the Galaxy. They're just Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyway, so what they would do is they find individuals who meet the criteria for being a Green Lantern. And a Green Lantern is like, you know, like a, like a Texas Ranger. And they give them these rings. And these, these rings have a central power core on the planet that the Guardians live on that draws the energy from it. And so Hal Jordan happens to be the... He, he was a, a fearless test pilot who acquired the ring from another Green Lantern who was about to die. It sought him out, you know, and then he became Green Lantern. And he's essentially the guardian of Earth and the areas around it. So he's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. (laughs) Yes. And his his initial adventures, he spent a lot of time in space fighting aliens and on Earth fighting mad scientists and robots and stuff. They decided they wanted to do something different with him. And they kind of grounded him to Earth a little more with this, the, this part of his career. So my impression is super goody two-shoes. And by goody two-shoes, I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean that like the way mainstream popular culture prior to 19, the turmoil of the 60s, especially, you know, white, white people. Um, basically viewed the world as good and bad. Right, exactly. There's good, there's evil, and it's real clear who's good and who's evil. And I think our country had a pretty vested interest in uh, perpetuating that view because we had, you know, this, quote, evil Mm -hmm. (laughs) called the Soviet Union Mm -hmm. um, and communism that if we didn't fight it, it was going to spread and it was going to take us over and enslave us all. Right. So... Whether you're talking about Superman or Captain America punching Nazis, there was always this good versus evil, and it's real clear who's evil, it's real real clear who's good, right? Right. And I'm sure, not having been a comic book reader myself, but I'm sure the comics tried to perpetuate Mm -hmm. that. Probably for a lot of the same reasons movies in the 80s 
and 90s did that. Especially the 80s. If you wanted to get the military to help you with your special effects for free, <laughs> just make a real, a real clear good versus evil movie. And yes. it'll, you know, they'll, they'll let you use their fighter jets or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Top Gun, like, didn't pay for the fuel in those jets, in those scenes with, you know, no. the Top Gun guys <laughs> flying around. Anyway, so this Hal Jordan guy, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. very good versus evil, I'm imagining. Yeah. And that's clear in the first couple of pages because they actually talk about no evil shall escape my sight. Right. And it's pretty naive. Like, one of the things that struck me is how naive the dialogue is. Mm. And then I noticed that it, it was approved by the Comics Code Authority. Yeah. Which you talked about just a couple minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so he's flying around, doing what superheroes do. Sees some old white dude getting beat up by some... Dirty hippies. to be <laughs> some hippies and maybe a couple of black dudes standing around. Mm-hmm. And clearly, the they're, these guys are picking on this guy. Like assaulting him, so he, you know, Green Lantern flies in, you know, captures the the assailants, sends them off to jail. The old white dude's like, "Thanks for saving me. You're a good guy." A few more guys like you. Yeah, don't you know? No need to thank me. You know, I'm just a uh, just doing my job, right? And then they start throwing garbage at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hit him in the head with a can, like. They just people are just throwing garbage out the windows, mm-hmm. right? His first impression is like, "Oh my God, it's anarchy, right? What do we? Yeah, th- what is this place co- coming to, right?" So he protects the old dude, beats up a few more hippies, and then this uh, Robin Hood looking guy shows up <laughs> <laughs> with his blonde goatee, and I thought he was a bad guy, like that he was going to be a bad guy because I don't know who this guy is. He's Apparently, he's the Green Arrow. Yes. And is Green Arrow a character that we've seen before this time? He also came around in the, you know during the Golden Age, and they revamped him a couple years prior to this. But he wasn't really doing much of anything in the books, so... Because he was because he didn't have like any ongoing storylines or whatever, they Denny O'Neill, the guy that wrote this, brought him in as kind of like the socially conscious Jiminy Cricket. So he would be the guy who would come along and just clarify the moral of the story. Yeah. If Pinocchio was doing something stupid, Jiminy Cricket, you know, steps in and explains to him. He says a little conscience, basically. So uh, the original SJW, <laughs> Green Arrow, comes along. So, so this is where it gets a little preachy, right? Because he goes... What are you doing? What do you think you're doing helping that old white dude? Mm-hmm. It turns out the old white dude is a slumlord, mm-hmm. and people were just kind of fed up, and they were starting to accost the slumlord because he was going to raise. He was actually going to kick people out of the yeah. apartment building so he could build a, a parking lot mm-hmm. and make more money. And but people are like, well, we got nowhere else to go. And one and one poignant scene, um, we see. Green Lantern talking about how, you know, he just goes around. He just, he helps people. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just doing my job. I got a job to do. He's like, uh, I'm just doing, he's like, I'm just doing my job. Right. (laughs) And then blonde goatee, Jiminy Cricket, Green Arrow invokes Godwin's law. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's like, seems I've heard that line before at the Nazi war trials. So the original social justice warrior is the first invoker of Godwin's law. Yep. <laughs> Denny O'Neill was a progressive writer. I'll just leave it at that for now. Then this wise old black man, the uh, bagger Vance of the comic <laughs> world, comes out of nowhere and he's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Let me just ask one question here. This Mr. Green Arrow, you just step aside. He's like, look, Green Lantern. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> I, all right, you got a job to do, right? And apparently, based on what I've read, your job involves like helping blue skins and on some other planet, orange skins, purple skins, like all different color skins. Like you help all these people with all these different color skins. What about the black skins? When have you ever helped the black skins? And he's just like, uh, <laughs> I got nothing. So suddenly he's got nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And in uh, less than a page, <laughs> or as or as the comic, or as the comic puts it, in the time it takes to draw a single breath, the span of a heartbeat, a man looks into his own soul, and his life changes. See, this is everybody's dream on Facebook. <laughs> if you could just give one. <laughs> good rant like right? <laughs> like people would just be like oh maybe I've been a dummy <laughs> so tell me how do I help says Green Lantern and uh and that's when the old black dude's like what <laughs> what am I the advice committee that's right <laughs> <laughs> it it's not my job to tell you how not to be racist you want to not be racist how about you start out by not being racist exactly <laughs> I mean, you start you start out by not being racist, and once you decide you're not racist, you'll know what to do. <laughs> that, which to me, it reminds me a lot. Like this happens to every, I except for Tony Isabella. I think every other woke white dude has experienced that moment where they're like, "All right, I want to be woke." Like you decide first, you're like. Okay, I get it. It's time for me to be woke. So I need to go to a black person and ask them how to be woke, right? And it's like, I've seen this play out on Facebook more than once. It's like, <laughs> what are you asking me for, right? <laughs> You're asking me right. how to be woke? I'm not a white person. Like, I'm a black dude. You're asking, you're, you, a white dude, is asking me, a black dude, how to be white and not racist. <laughs> I don't know how to be white and not racist. <laughs> I don't come to you and ask, how do I be a black dude? Right? I mean, how can I be a black dude and not scare you? <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure the dialogue would actually have gone down exactly that way if not for the comics code. Because <laughs> sometimes I think, well, in the case of this one, this, this issue, and some other books we'll be doing, the, the that code just ties their hands. You know, these guys are like, they're there's so much they want to put into this, but they can only say so much. So yeah, if they ever do, if they ever need a a, a rescripting of this, it'd probably go a little bit yeah. like that. We'll get Tony's help. <laughs> From that point on, it it sort of takes a. I don't know. I I felt like like okay, I got it. I'm like okay, so you got this dude who thinks he knows good and evil. 
and like somebody opens his eyes. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, so it's not as cut and dry as I thought. You got this, and it's and it's funny because he confronts the slumlord. Mm-hmm. He does what every woke white dude does. He's like, oh, I know what I can do. I'll just go talk to my other white friends. I'll just talk to the other, to other white people and explain to them. Like, now that I'm woke, I'll just explain to my white colleagues, like, the situation, and they'll get it. And then we can all be woke together. Right? <laughs> that always works. I think they call that a white knight. In fact, some of the racist people I've seen on Facebook, that's exactly what they call it. Like, they'll start spouting some racist bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll get into a little argument with maybe maybe even a, a person of color. Mm-hmm. And then some other white, like, woke white dude will come along and, and like, start arguing with the troll. Mm-hmm. And the troll will be like, oh, here's the white knight mm. riding in on his SJW horse, white horse. You know, it's like, oh, for crying out loud. Anyway, so what Green Lantern finds out when he talks to the guy is he's an ultra capitalist. Mm-hmm. And by ultra capitalist, I mean, I mean one of those capitalists who has no idea. Well, they may know, but they don't care or or refuse to acknowledge. Yeah, the fact that they didn't work for what they got. Right. But he's acting like he did. Like he's like, no, I own this building. I can do what I want with it. Right. I don't have to worry about what happens to the families that live here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my building. I'll do what I want. He's like, okay, then I'll do the only other thing I know to do, and that is some violence. The one thing I know how to do good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along about that time, I started getting really confused because this blue-looking dude like starts going, like apparently the Guardians that you talked about earlier yeah. like, like started to interfere. Mm-hmm. They said, hey, we got some some space bullshit. For you to come do. Now, I got confused. They have that symbol. What is that? I guess it's... Is that the Green Lantern symbol? Yes. It's a lantern. It's a stylized lantern. Because the, if you're a Green Lantern, you're a member of what's called the Green Lantern Corps. Okay. So he goes out, goes on the assignment that they gave him, and then he's like, oh, well, this assignment was kind of boring. It was like, keep an eye on this galaxy over here or whatever it's titan dude when they sent him to guard titan Mm -hmm. i thought "Ooh, we're about to get into some thanos (laughs) (laughs) as dan Aykroyd said in ghostbusters you never studied (laughs) (laughs) i'm starting yeah (laughs) i'm trying real hard (laughs) you're you're gaining ground pretty fast but titan is a a moon of jupiter Mm -hmm. apparently some space bullshit was going on there they're like, keep an eye on Titan. He's like hanging around Titan. Meanwhile, the woke Robin Hood goes after the slumlord, but it's a trap. Spoiler alert. Green Arrow goes after the guy by setting him up because he wants to get him, you know, to some incriminating stuff on tape. But the, t- the tape gets damaged, so they're back to square one. And then they're, they're like, wait a minute. Um... The landlord doesn't know that his henchmen are in jail, right? Well, no. Well, then Green Lantern uses his ring that can do anything to make himself look like one of his henchmen to get the landlord oh. to con- to basically say that he hired these guys to kill Green Arrow. 
and of course they're being recorded and the and there's a district attorney on hand who's been trying to get him for years and it gets stitched up in a nice little like mystery tv plot got it to me it's almost like they could have don't get me wrong I love this issue, and I love where this book went after, because Green Lantern and Green Arrow stayed teamed up for quite some time. They could have ended this issue just with the old black man talking to him, and that would have been a great just dun-dun-dun kind of ending, like what's going to happen next, but they still had to tie it up in a nice little mystery to catch the bad guy. Then there's this epilogue. Dude, you're killing me by bending that comic like that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say it got a little preachy. Mm-hmm. Because the Guardian dude, who is supposed to be in charge of Green Lantern, who gave him his powers, apparently, that comes along is like, you disobeyed orders. You were supposed to stay up by Titan and take care of business over there. And Green Lantern's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then Green Arrow's like, that's right, apologize, grovel in front of the walking mummy. How can you call yourself a hero when you're not even a man? You know, he's like, you're just a puppet for these guardian dudes. Stand up for yourself, stand up for America, stand up for the downtrodden. And then they like have this picture of Martin Luther King Jr. And, and uh, I think it's either JFK or Bobby Kennedy. Bobby I'm not Kennedy. Sure which one is. Yeah, but he's like, oh, they got killed, and, you know, America's sick, and it's it needs you. He's basically like, are you going to serve these guardian dudes, or are you going to be here where you're needed and, like, use your powers to help America? And I think, I'll tell you what's, fa- it's a little preachy, but I'll tell you what's what I think is interesting about it. And I don't know if this is the first time this started to happen uh, with comics, but it's like comics almost saying... We're going to come with a different point of view. Uh, okay, we are entertainment. We started out as entertainment to keep the printing presses running mm-hmm. and you know give give people some entertainment. But then they, it's almost like they started getting used as propaganda tools. Mm-hmm. And this is almost like comics going, you know what? <laughs> we have a point of view too. Mm-hmm. And we see some problems in this country. And so we're going to use, we have a megaphone when we speak it in the megaphone, millions of people hear us. Mm-hmm. And it's not just kids. Yeah. It is kids, but it's not just kids. And so we have a point of view that we're going to scream into this megaphone. When we were talking about the concept for this show, we one of the one of the things we talked about was what makes these stories that we're going to be talking about accessible to non-readers. Yeah. Everything we've just talked about makes and because it's a almost a, it's a mirror of today and not, nothing's nothing's really changed so to speak in the past 50 years it's completely accessible the dialogue's a little janky because of the time but it's a totally relatable story right now yeah and it, it makes me think that if a roman from you know 75 BC picked it up and read it they would recognize like, like you'd have to translate it to, to Latin. <laughs> well, clear, of course. Yeah. But they would recognize the story. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, the, we've got the same thing going on mm-hmm. now. There's like these, you know, there's the old guard who thinks everything is black and white, good and evil. And the, they got these new guys coming up that they think are going to destroy the world. And 
the hippies, like basically, I think they would recognize the story. They'd go, oh, of course. It's unfortunately a timeless story. Yeah, in some ways it's unfortunate. In other ways, it's just like it's the human condition, right? And maybe what the, you know, not to overstate it, but maybe what the starting with the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, maybe what they're trying to do is say, Let's start accurately portraying the human condition. Yeah. Let's not be propaganda anymore. They're not just kitty books. Which I never would have figured out on my own. And this is just the first episode. There's a reason why original copies of this book can sell in the thousands. We're all about accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that makes it a little less accessible is just how... You use the word jinky, but it goes beyond jinky. It's kind of like if you and I said, all right... Here's what we need to do. We need to have a superhero who thinks he knows good and evil. Mm-hmm. Then we had, need to have another superhero come along and explain to him how he doesn't know good and evil. And maybe we'll have some black dude come along too. It's just like almost too straightforward. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing subtle about it. That's because at that time in comics history, they did not do ongoing storylines. The story had a beginning, a middle, and an end every issue there was no continuing plot line so they had they they have to wrap it up in a quick package and they have to hit all the high notes i think what'll be interesting as we move forward is Mm -hmm. to watch the evolution because clearly by watchmen they started getting subtlety and nuance and ambiguity and all the beautiful things about you know literature by the way, the, the jinky dialogue in comics comes to a screeching halt in X-Men God Loves, Man Kills. I'm just going to throw that out there because <laughs> Claremont, in one word bubble, just, <laughs> it's like, well, I guess we're here now. Yeah, I guess we're, I guess we're using those words. <laughs> You've been listening to We've Got Issues. We've Got Issues is written and produced by Paul Schultz and Steve Vinson. Copyright Big Broccoli Studios. Music by Eric Fulmer. For more by Big Broccoli Studios, go to www.bigbroccolistudios.com. <laughs>